Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tremendous privilege right now. I'm about to invite Rabbi Chaim Rabinder to come to the podium. He's a man who needs no introduction. That's generally what one says. Either when one is about to go in, to take all the time and spend it on an introduction, which I'm not going to do, but I'm going to say just one thing um, in introducing Rabbi Chaim Gravender and thanking Rabbi Gravender for coming here today, which is that today there are many institutions of women's learning. All of those institutions, including this institution, um, um, are built upon Rabbi Gravender's pioneering work. So he established the foundation. He did much more than just establish a foundation. But uh, I certainly um, um, have a profound debt to Rabbi Gravender, as do all institutions of women's learning today. And it is an honor, it's a chut, to be able to host the shiur today from Rabbi Chaim Gravender. Rabbi Gravender. Thank you. Uh, that's mine. That's mine. How can I do it without that? Uh, thank you, Robinson Hinkin. I, I tell you, I'm not the kind of person who dwells too much on the past, but it is. Um, I guess I appreciate the fact that there's so many women sitting and learning Torah. And when I came to Eretz Israel, which was a long time ago, but not hundreds of years ago <laughs> this was not the case so I'm happy it's, uh, I think it's changed on the elementary school level on the high school level on the post high school level on the uh, people out of school level you know the mothers and uh, it's, it's uh, I guess it's a great thing it's a great thing because I feel it's the way it should be it's not exactly a change it's just the way it should be okay, what I'd like to talk to you about today is um, not an original topic, but I think that the way I'm going to look at it may be a little bit different. And that's the place of Moshe Rabbeinu in the Haggadah. Now, for those of you who don't remember the Haggadah about that, and you should, you should. I mean, often it's true that women um, ignore the fact that their obligation to say the Haggadah on the night of the Seder is exactly the same as the obligation of men. And where this idea came from that women go puttering around in the kitchen while the Haggadah is being read that they are doing a great service to the world, where this idea came from, I don't know, but it's wrong. The obligation to say the Haggadah devolves equally upon everybody. And so, if... Um, the soup will have to wait a few minutes before it gets served because the women are participating in the Seder, so be it. There's a mitzvah to tell the story of Pesach on the night of Pesach. And that mitzvah applies equally to men and to women, equally. And that means that the way we do it is that really you should say all of the words of the Haggadah. It's true that wherever possible you should explain the Haggadah, you should think about it, you should hamarbeh. If you if you increase the amount of storytelling that you do, areze mishubach, I mean, that's a great thing. But minimally, you have to read the Haggadah. And if you're walking around and someplace else, if you're in the kitchen or taking care of a baby, 
you're not doing the Haggadah. So that uh, if you have to go out and you have to take care of something, when you come back, you tell everybody to wait and you pick up where you left off and you say the Haggadah because that's your obligation. And the people around the table are listening to each other. They're listening to each other. So minimally, and thank God we live in a world where reading Hebrew and speaking Hebrew is not such a big problem. So everybody can take a Haggadah and read through it. In fact, the most desirable thing, if you don't like the shear that I give here today, is that you should get a Haggadah, which there are only 400 or 500 in print in the stores, and look at it before Pesach, so that you'll have something to say, something to add. And no one should be shy. Right? No one should be shy because it's obligatory. So that if you say something, either that you learned or that you thought of, that's a tremendous contribution. Because it doesn't only mean you're giving away Torah, but it means that you are creating the Torah of Pesach, and that's what the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim is really about. It's a participatory Sipur. It's not an arbitrary or a repetition of a kind of a code that we say. It's not Manashevitz that created the Haggadah. It was Am Yisrael that created the Haggadah. And it's true that printing is kind of like a stopper. It says, here it is. This is it. We print it up. But, if you think on it, uh, uh, you recognize the fact that really what we're supposed to do is use the Haggadah as a kind of jumping off point to making comments of interest. So the comment that I'm making here today is what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu? I don't have to, I don't have to tell you that Moshe Rabbeinu had some importance in Yitziat Mitzrayim. And I don't have to tell you that if we would sort of have to write a little novelette about Yitziat Mitzrayim, the chances of excluding Moshe Rabbeinu from that novelette are close to zero. I mean, who would write the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim and not mention Moshe Rabbeinu? Only the Haggadah. The Haggadah that was written already in the time of the Tanaim, those great Jews, and was passed down in history the Tanaim, the Amoraim, the Gaonim, the Rishonim, the Acharonim, intellectual Jewish history. No one said, let's sneak Moshe Rabbeinu in. They snuck in Dayenu. You know Dayenu? Which everybody thinks is very important because they like to sing it. But it's questionable whether the tune makes the mitzvah. Dayenu did sneak in. How come no one wrote a little paragraph about Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, it's not just that Moshe Rabbeinu is not there, but you have to remember that for hundreds of years, maybe more than hundreds of years, maybe over a thousand years, until printing, 
Printing is the 15th century. Remember that name, Mr. Gutenberg? Sounds Jewish, but he wasn't. So he, until printing, people used to write things down. You know, like a book. A book, you copied it by hand. And if you got bored copying, so you put in little notes in your book. You wrote little things. How come no one put Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, it is true for those of you who know the Haggadah by heart that the name Moshe Rabbeinu appears in a pasuk, but that doesn't count. If you look again at the Haggadah, you'll see that it doesn't count. So I think it's, it's rather amazing. Not only that Moshe Rabbeinu was left out of the Haggadah, but that no one thought to include him. Which means that for that thousand years, or that 1500 years where there's evidence of a Haggadah being used, of, of a Haggadah, not the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, of course they told from the time of the Mitzvah, but the evidence of the Haggadah, which starts from the Mishnah, from the Mishnah that we have in our possession, it was 1500 years until printing. And during those 1500 years, no one put in a comment about Moshe Rabbeinu. No one added a paragraph about what he did. No one thought to say that the Makot in Mitzrayim, that the miracles in Mitzrayim, had something to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. It's absolutely amazing. As though, as though Am Yisrael as a collective, if you could imagine talking about the psychology of a nation, right, that that somehow, if you scratch any Jew and say to him, Moshe Rabbeinu, great man, nothing to do with Pesach. Nothing. Everybody said that. Everybody. I find that rather remarkable. So I restate the question. Why? Why is Moshe Rabbeinu left out of the Haggadah? Didn't Moshe Rabbeinu contribute something to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Surely, when we mention the, the Makot in Mitzrayim in different ways, right? Dar Mitzrayim, and then we say that's for some reason. Surely, when we mention, surely when we mention that, we could say, and Moshe Rabbeinu did it. And Moshe Rabbeinu was then messenger of God. We mention Amalach. We mention HaKadosh Baruch How come Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned? So I would like to have the sheet. I have a sheet. And besides the sheet, which is very nicely done here, which has Psukim on it, but I can't say it has all the Psukim and everything you want to know, but a little bit. We'll get a feeling for something about Moshe Rabbeinu. The first pasuk is Yisrael Now what I understand from this pasuk which was a, it's a pasuk that was said by Paro Melech Mitzrayim remember Paro? He's the bad guy in the story and he said he said Yisrael. He is the first one he Paro who may have been a bad guy but was apparently no fool He's the first one who recognized that Bnei Yisrael was an Am. Were not just individuals. As in the Sefer Breshit, we only hear about individuals. Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef. 
by there the story Breshit is the story of individuals Har Sinai Har Sinai is the story of a nation the nation came to Har Sinai so if I ask this question when did the individuals become a nation right, when did that happen okay that's a little difficult to answer but if I ask the question who's the first one who knew that Am Yisrael exists that there's some kind of cohesiveness there's some, there's some glue that keeps Am Yisrael together who was the first one? that was Paro Paro looked around and he said we have to do something to avoid an imminent tragedy because these people have constituted themselves as a nation and nations are always problematic for other nations not individuals but nations so he's the first one who said he first he's the first one who said that now I want to I want to also remind you of the psukim at the beginning of Vaera right the second the second uh, uh, set of psukim by the Belokim at Moshe so HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu something that is kind of incomprehensible to us for which we need a like Kabbalistic underpinning to understand we understand the nuances but we do understand that there is a differentiation that's made by a Kaddish Baruch to Moshe Rabbeinu which says, look that was then and now is now then God's relationship to Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov was on one level but Shmi Hashem lo no now B'nai Yisrael are on yet a higher level what is the higher level that B'nai Yisrael could possibly have achieved that Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov didn't achieve is we understand that as individuals there were no individuals in Jewish history who were greater than Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov but Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov did have a failing which kind of was resolved a little bit by Yaakov they had a failing they failed in one regard and their regard was that they could not create a nation because you know Abraham had two sons one was in and one was out and Yitzchak had two sons one was in and one was out and Yaakov had many sons but they were not all to his satisfaction of Yaakov so a nation is where everybody is in a nation is where there is the capacity to absorb those who are doing the right thing and also to keep in touch and to keep a hold of those who are not doing the right thing or not doing as right a thing as they might so that on the one hand Avram and Yaakov were the greatest Jews of all time on the other hand the nation which was perceived by Paro first perceived by Paro was validated by HaKadosh Baruch Hu as being a superior state in some way now this is an interesting topic but it's not my topic today but I don't want you to imagine that I think I've explained it I haven't explained it 
But I've referenced the Pasuk which says that it's true. That there's something grandiose, there's something great about being a nation. And one could say, one could say, not so hard to get to that point, that the difference between, a difference between the Jews in the diaspora and the Jews in Eretz Yisrael is that the Jews in the diaspora all get around certain flags. If you're with me, you're with me. And if you're against me, you're against me. I mean, there's no... It's not, it's not that kind of a nation whereas in Eretz Yisrael we know in spite of the flags and in spite of the attempts to be divisive and, 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 uh, and go and pull in different directions there is a certain am there's a certain feeling of am Yisrael that we're all in it together right on some level we're all in it together since we're all in it together since we're all in it together that's the am that exists here. And I think everybody knows. If you've lived in Eretz Israel for a long time, or maybe even not for such a long time, and you go to Chutz Laretz, you have to visit. You visit old friends, or you visit people that you once knew. I think most people come away with the feeling that it's different. Somehow it's different. That, that, the, that in Chutz Laretz, the street does not belong to us. Like we walk around the street with our heads down, and we try to get quickly to a building that says, my building on it. Right? It could be a shul, it could be a community center, it could be orthodox, or conservative, it could be reform, it doesn't matter. But the street, the place which is supposed to be uh, uh, the place which unifies everybody, that's not ours. We don't belong on that. We don't belong on that street, even if we live in a very Jewish, quote-unquote, neighborhood. But in Eretz Israel, we do feel this idea of the street. We always like it. But it's like, it's more like, you know, when you had, you know, and you, when you were a kid and, and you, you had a room and you had your stuff and your little brother or your little sister came and messed up your stuff. So you got angry, really angry. But, but that anger did never, never represented the main part of the relationship between siblings, right? After the anger, I mean, you're still siblings. I mean, that's the... That's the way it is in Eretz Yisrael. In Chutzlaretz, I don't feel that way. I haven't, been, I haven't lived in Chutzlaretz in many years, so maybe I'm just like promoting some idea that, uh, that you know, maybe the Sachnut would like or something. I don't, I don't know, but that's what I feel. I feel something. Maybe, you know, I'm not going to go and live 40 years in New York to see if I'm right. Right? That would be a little bit too, uh, too difficult, although it might be the scholarly way to do it. So Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael is created. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that Am Yisrael is better in many ways than Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Not as individuals, but the community. That's the goal. That's where we were heading. And the one who discovered that, the one who discovered it was, was Paro. Okay, we can learn the Rashis, but we're going to skip that for now. Let's go back to the birth, uh, or let's go to the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. birth of Moshe Rabbeinu is source number four. Vatara Yishava Tele Ben. And you know that the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu is seen by Chazal. <coughs> the very relationship between his mother and his father is seen as being miraculous. There was a difficulty that people had in, in, in the will to conceive and the notion of having children. They, didn't, they weren't clear as to whether this would be, this was a proper way to go. Vatara Yishava Tele Ben. Vatero Toki Tovu. But it's Bnei Shloshayir Achim. So you know that the word Tov 
the word Tova is like a word that's pregnant with meaning for the Jews for, for, for anybody who learns the Torah because in the Torah it says that the creation itself was Tov Tov, Tov, Tov right? that, that's the word that represents to us divine perfection that there's something special I mean you could like either downgrade the word or upgrade the word I could say Tov means special well I could say Tov means something more than special so Rashi says if you look at the Rashi Chinolad nitbalei habayit kulo ora kulo ora what's the or? what does or represent? or is the highest level of perfection in creation or God said let there be light and that light could not be born in the world of creation because that light was only appropriate for the righteous and the world as Rashi explains would have righteous people in it and less righteous people in it and therefore the light was taken out of the world and set aside in Olam Haba for the, where everybody would be would be righteous the point is that Moshe Rabbeinu was born and this reflecting extreme righteousness now while this seems to us to be uh, a little strange and kind of the way Art Scroll might write up a biography of somebody who lived, you know, three or four years ago. Nevertheless, when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, this is a very important idea because it reflects the psukim in the Torah as we shall see. Again, what? That Moshe Rabbeinu upon birth was Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean it's true he had to learn how to walk and he still had to learn how to eat food that was not in a bottle or whatever it was that they fed them with in those days but he was Moshe Rabbeinu there was no doubt we have this idea right HaKadosh Baruch says the Yumiyo Navi Beterem Etzarcha Babeten Yida'aticha that that's the nature of prophecy it's not an idle choice it's not like a Kodesh who said oh I need a like I need a, a mailman to tell B'nai Yisrael a message so here we'll take this guy he's standing there not doing anything he has got a job so we'll send him that prophecy that the ability to be numbered amongst the prophets is a unique kind of ability that Yirmiyahu HaNavi had from the time that he was conceived when he was in his in his mother's womb it's true also about Yitzchak Yitzchak's sons right Yaakov and Esau right even when they were in their mother's womb are seen as being differentiable right you can separate out and say oh he was this and he was that so that Moshe Rabbeinu is understood by the Torah itself as being as being so very very special the Ramban says you see the Ramban number 6 Right? right, the Ramban says, well, it's well known that uh, mothers and women like their children. I know all my children, all my children call their children tzaddik until, until they're about a year old <laughs> when they figure it out. <laughs> but, but they know, like at the beginning, it's all glory. He says, "Oh, I've been a hem, yet fim, v'sheinam, yet 
Good-looking babies, not good-looking babies. And, and, and therefore they would try to hide them as much as they could. And, and therefore, it, it doesn't really, you don't have to really prove what the tov was of Moshe Rabbeinu because that's what his mother said. Right? But, uh, so the Ramban says it's simple shot. You could say it's a kind of a hyperbole. Every mother says that about her son, right? Because when you're born, you could be the Golol Ador. It takes a few years to figure out that you might not be, right? Uh, uh, so, so he says, uh, He said, that's not what it means, the Ramban says. She looked at her son and she saw something special. Tov mechudash v'chashva ki yare bo nes v'hinatzer. And ordinarily, she wouldn't have put him into a basket and sent him down the river. That's like suicide. I mean, like somebody's going to find him, and it's not going to be—it's not going to be a Jew who has a yeshiva someplace who is going to take him. We're talking about Mitzrayim, but she saw that there was something special about this child. Lachein nitna liba v'chashva machshavot ve'inyano. And therefore she thought about saving him. So when she saw she couldn't hide him because the little kid didn't know what was going on and he was screaming away. So the Ramban sort of expands the Rashi. And he said, whereas Rashi looks at it as being kind of totally miraculous, the Ramban explains that there's a kind of interaction between the miraculous, the special, the unique on the one hand, and the other side of it, which is that Moshe Rabbeinu was also a baby and had to be dealt with as a baby so that the Ramban, I think, you know, has a certain attraction because he puts the context of the story back into something real right back into something real, but you have to remember that the Ramban, I think, in this case, is entirely basing himself on Rashi's initial perception. Number seven. Right? Now, where was Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu lived in the house of the, of the king. His mother, or his local parentis, was the, the Paro's daughter, right? So he came from a world in which he learned something about justice, how he learned that his Chazal's concern, who taught him, Miriam, Yocheved, it says, etc. In other words, the first time that we meet up with Moshe Rabbeinu, first time we meet up with Moshe Rabbeinu, he's doing a very remarkable thing. He's acting in accordance with justice. There's some, some idea that Moshe Rabbeinu has about right and wrong on the one hand, and on the other hand, that he can act according to that idea. Now, could you imagine that a slave in Mitzrayim, would I have either of these qualities? Would I ever be able to say, I know what right and wrong is? And, or, say, since I know what right and wrong is, I'm going to act and do something. This is, this is a story 
that could not be told about anybody else in the Mitzrayim except for Moshe Rabbein except for Moshe Rabbein the next story is number 8 Vayomer Anochi Elokei Avichol Ge Abraham Ge Yitzchak Ge Yaakov Vayesdev Panav Moshe Panav Ki Yerei Mehabit El Har Elokim so we have this story which is told in Perek Gimel which I will summarize as follows so Moshe Rabbein went to the snake right that burning bush remember the burning bush Moshe Rabbeinu went to the burning bush. Now, what's the burning bush? What's the burning bush? The burning bush is a confrontation with HaKadosh Baruch The next time there was a confrontation with HaKadosh Baruch was at Har Sinai. It wasn't a burning bush at Har Sinai, but there was fire, and there was lightning, and there was thunder, and Moshe Rabbeinu went up again in up on the mountain so uh, uh, I just want to I want you to recognize the fact that there's a kind of a relationship between what Moshe Rabbeinu did on Har Sinai and what you might call a preparatory situation that Moshe Rabbeinu participated in at the Sneh it was again uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is having Yechidus, you know, like they say with the Rebbe, you have Yechidus. Moshe Rabbeinu is having Yechidus with Hakadosh Baruch Hu at the at the Sne. Vayomer Hashem pasuk in Aleph El Halokim Mi Anochi Keilech El Paro VeChiotziet B'Nei Yisrael Mitzrayim. So this begins one of the most curious stories about Moshe Rabbeinu, which we could also say we all, everybody would say about himself, right? Everybody would say about himself. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu came and told me to lead the battle against against the Syrians, so I say, I'm old, I'm tired, I, I don't know anything about battles, I don't know anything about the new way to shoot or to do it, I don't know anything, but if God tells you, go and do it, what are you going to do? You're argue? You're going to say to God, I'm too old, I'm too tired? I don't go to the gym regularly. And what are you going to say to God? I mean, it's like that the whole thing doesn't make any sense. So here, HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, me? How could I go? How could I do it? I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I have this great job. I'm a shepherd in Midian. I have a nice wife. My father-in-law, it's true, he's not so Jewish, but he's an interesting conversationalist. We can do the crossword puzzle on Sunday. I mean, it's, it's total dissonance. You know, it's total dissonance. It's a, it's a good thing we read these parishes. You know, every shop is a new parsha, So we can't talk, think too much about how we don't understand what's going on. But we don't understand. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu. He went to the Sneh. He saw HaKadosh Baruch. I mean, what possible purpose that HaKadosh Baruch, that Moshe Rabbeinu think was in this snare event like you know we've been thinking about this snare for 3,000 years uh, so we might be a little ahead of Moshe Rabbeinu but not likely Moshe Rabbeinu was there Moshe Rabbeinu must have said this oh you know like uh, this is like value added for being a shepherd because here I am out in the middle of nowhere if I was in a city then God wouldn't appear to me in a snare because he couldn't find a snare to appear in so I'm here out in the 
I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing defies, defies belief. And then the, the response by Yom Hashem, Pasuk Yud Bet, Ki Yei Mach B'Zelcha Od Kerod Shlach Ticha, etc., etc. He says, God says, No, don't worry, I'm with you. You mean, and when he, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when he told Moshe Rabbeinu to go, Moshe Rabbeinu thought that God wasn't with him. By the way, God, God like said to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Listen, we'll give it a try. We'll send you. It works. It works. It doesn't work. It doesn't work." I mean, that's you know. Then God says, "Okay, I'll back you up. I'm with you. I'm with you." I mean, the whole thing is is uh, is hard for us to comprehend. Pasuk Yud Gimel. So somehow there's a further kind of, 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 a, of a difficulty that Moshe has. What will I say to them? What will happen when they ask me? I mean, again, all these, all these things are, are unclear. But we want to deal with the big unclear. The big unclear is that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want the job. And he had to be convinced, almost forced, to take this opportunity. Right? Rashi says in Pasuk Yud Aleph Mianuchi, Mani Chashuv Lidabem Lachim. I mean, this is kind of, you imagine that? Moshe Rabbeinu says, the Kodesh Bochu, look, I'm not I'm a shepherd, I don't have a suit, I don't have a hat, I don't have a tie. How am I going to go to the king? I mean, you can't just go to the king in the shmatas that I wear. But what's the argument? What is the argument? If you'll see it today, Israel, I've been chachuba, and the Mazahu Israel should have said, I'm Nes, but see, I'm in Mitzrayim. So Moshe Rabbi, I mean, like Rashi. Rashi is worthy of further discussion, without a doubt. So now, that's the question. The question is, where was Moshe Rabbeinu? And where is our Israel? Where is it that we, like, like, what is it that we're talking about? So I want to read. I want to read to you a midrash. I want to read to you a midrash, and that midrash will take us into the next part of the talk. And the midrash is not on your sheet. I want to tell you, I'm a, I'm a teacher of much experience. I've been doing this for years and years. And the rule is that when you make up a sheet, you leave out the best source, <laughs> because otherwise the students are on an equal footing with the teacher, <laughs> and that would be, you know will put us out of business. <laughs> so here's a source that's not on the sheet, but it's an important source. So I want you to listen. Up to now you didn't have to listen because you had a sheet. Now you have to listen. You know that Moshe Rabbeinu came to Paro and said, blah, 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 we're leaving. And Paro said, what is this business? They're my slaves. They work for me. Not only are you not leaving but everything is going to get more difficult. That's what Paro said. Right? Everything is going to get more difficult. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to give you straw. And I'm going to make you get it yourself. And then Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't seem to understand what's going on. How come I came to take them out of Mitzrayim? And everything is worse than it was. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says to Kodesh Baruch why did I why should I be responsible for making everything for making everything worse so the Medrash says this that the work will be more intensive 
<coughs> what do we learn from this? The Medrash says, Shayubi Adam Mikilot. That Bnei Yisrael had Megillot, the Megillah is like Megillah that's there, we would call it a book they had these books and the Perush on the Medrash is that the books that they had were like Sefer Breshit the story of Avraham, the story of Yitzchak the story of Yaakov, and Rashi also says that, Rashi says that in his commentary on Perkutet at the end of the Parsha Mishpatim Rashi says that the book of Breshit Existed, maybe not exactly the way it looks today, but it existed. The Book of Bereshit. So Hayubi Adam Megillot. They had these books, books about Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov. And they would get pleasure from them. They would derive pleasure from these books that they had every Shabbat, all week long. They were very tired. They worked very hard. And they had no koach to invest into this uh, delightful pastime of learning what we call chumash. He says, Shakarish Bochu go alam. In other words, they knew from these books that Akarish Bochu will redeem them. So since they would rest on Shabbat, they worked all week, they rested on Shabbat, they were able to read these books, and they were able to keep alive the notion that there would be redemption. Amarla and Paro. So Paro said to them, So Paro understood that B'nai Yisrael was keep, always keeping their, na- their notion of nationhood alive was the fact that they were certain about redemption. How were they certain about redemption? They read it in the Chumash about Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. So Paro said, you know, we've got to put a stop to this redemption business. So I'm not going to let them take off on Shabbat. Al Yumishtashim Shabbat. So what did that mean according to the Medrash? What did it mean that 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 uh, Aparo added work for them to do? It meant that they had to work on Shabbat. So that what was taken away from them, what was taken away from them was Shabbat. Now what I'd like to do is tell you what the pre says. But in order for me to really tell you what the pre says, we'd have to learn it. In order to learn it, you'd have to give me a lot more time than I actually have. But I think it'll be enough for me to tell you that there is a pre-tzadik, and that he says something, and we'll look at a few lines in the pre-tzadik. I, copy, I, I asked them to, to give you the whole section that I was interested in, and the whole section that I was interested in is from Va'era, Parshat Va'era, and it's number section Zion. So the, the, um, the pre-tzadik is trying to deal, if you look at the beginning, he says, My Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I can't talk. One of his arguments to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then he said, Lo anochi, kikvad kikvad anochi. And it was that, that he kept saying that he can't do it. That he can't speak to B'nai Yisrael. He can't speak to B'nai Yisrael. So the, what the, what the pre-tzadik offers 
as an interpretation for the pre-tzaddik office as an interpretation and I would but let, let, let me say this I'm not going to tell you what the pre-tzaddik says but I am going to tell you what I say and what I'm telling you is that the pre-tzaddik influenced strongly what I say because I got it from the pre-tzaddik but I'm going to say it in my words and not in his words and if you want to learn the pre-tzaddik here you have it you could do that and some other time you know those people who have a lot of stamina could invite me back and we'll learn the pre-tzaddik together what? what am I? Well, in Israel that works. You know, in America you say, "I'll come over sometime." Nobody ever comes. You have to have a date, and a time. But in Israel, I guess it works sometimes. So anyway, this is what I understand from the pre-tzaddik. This is what I understand. Anyway, we get back to our original question. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was not part of Yitzhak because to be part of Yitzhak Mitzrayim that means to us like all that all the Mephoshim all Hasidus all the Stantos everybody agrees that Yitzhak Mitzrayim was not a horizontal action it wasn't that B'nai Israel were over here and had to get over there but Yitzhak Mitzrayim was moving B'nai Israel from down there to up there that somehow Yitzhak Mitzrayim was preparatory it was necessary it moved Am Yisrael from slavery which is a terrible state to independence and the opportunity and willingness to receive the Torah now this is not just as though B'nai Yisrael went to Harsidah and Kodesh Bokhul said to them you know I got a good thing in heaven how would you like it? Has everybody said, great? What, what could go wrong? No, it's not like that. It's like the Maral says. The Maral says, Nitina, when you give something, you have to be able, you have to give it to someone who has the capacity to receive. So that if somebody gives me a popular book on science, I say thank you very much. But if somebody would give me a very difficult book on physics written in Chinese, I wouldn't be so happy about it. Because I would think to myself, I haven't really received anything. I can't use it. I can't do anything with it. I didn't get anything. So that in order to get the Torah, you have to become a repository of the Torah. You have to be a willing acceptor of the Torah. So Yitzhak Mitzrayim is not just about, okay, slavery, 400 years of slavery, or 210 years of slavery, whatever, now we're going to have Sinai. That's not the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is how Am Yisrael became aware of things that they had to be aware of in order to eventually, not eventually, soon, receive the Torah, right? Very soon. And that Yitzhak Mitzrayim was part of this process, and that's the story. The story is not the story of what happened. The story is the story of the change that B'nai Yisrael underwent because that change is instructive for us we also want to be repositories of the Torah 
We also want to be acceptors of the Torah. Therefore, we have to always make ourselves better. We have not like the people of Israel or with slaves. But we have other things to deal with. We always have things that have to be dealt with that are not quite under, under control. And that's Yitziat Mitzrayim. Right? Bad thinking being replaced by good thinking. Right? Interest in, in idle matters being replaced by interest in substantial matters. All of that has to do, all of that has to do with, with Yitziat Mitzrayim. So, Moshe Rabbeinu, he was already at the snap. And he said to HaKadosh Baruch, I can't speak to them. My language is not their language. It's like some Rosh Yeshiva coming in to give a sheer klali. Well, it means complex, right? That's what klali means. And you know that there isn't anybody in the room who understands what you're saying. So then you have a problem. Moshe Rabbeinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, look, I've been to the Sned. I've spoken directly with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I understand about the Matan Torah for Moshe Rabbeinu has already begun. I'm already, I, I'm out of Mitzrayim. I'm away from Mitzrayim. And so Moshe Rabbeinu said, I can't do it. Because there's no way that I can reorient the words that I have to say to make them comprehensible to B'nai Yisrael. And of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu understood L'Chadchila, there's not even a discussion that Moshe Rabbeinu was right, but that the discussion between Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which ends up by saying, Aaron Achicho, your brother Aaron, he will speak. He will speak that that is really what was intended by HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the beginning of things. It was HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do it alone. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was on a level that B'nai Israel couldn't comprehend and that his words would not easily be transferable to B'nai Israel. But the Torah had to explain to us why Moshe Rabbeinu was not sent uniquely to take the Jews out of Mitzrayim. So the presentation for us is in a discussion between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Moshe Rabbeinu, you've got to go. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, I can't go. I can't understand. I can't, I can't uh, uh, communicate. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay. In other words, we have to understand that in some way, if I think of Yitziat Mitzrayim, I think of Yitziat Mitzrayim as a prelude to Matan Torah, that Yitziat Mitzrayim effected a change in Am Yisrael, which made them, B'nai Yisrael, proper recipients of, the proper recipients of the Torah. That wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't with them on that. He was already Moshe Rabbeinu. He became Moshe Rabbeinu at birth, perhaps. But surely, from the, between the birth and his ethical positions and his action against those who acted unethically and irresponsibly, he was already Moshe Rabbeinu in Mitzrayim, but surely, at the snap, Moshe Rabbeinu became Moshe Rabbeinu of Harsina. 
And so Moshe Rabbeinu never left Mitzrayim. He was never in Mitzrayim. If Mitzrayim represents the low of the low of Am Yisrael, and if Yitzhak Mitzrayim is about Am Yisrael working to become uh, uh, the appropriate repository for Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't there. He wasn't with them. Moshe Rabbeinu was elsewhere. He was the proper repository from the day go. So if we tell the story on the night of Pesach of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and if the story that we tell on the night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the story of the conversion of Am Yisrael from the unacceptable, from the unable, from the incapacitated, right, Am Yisrael, to the Bayaminu Bashem of Moshe of Kriyat Yamsul. If that's the story that we tell on the night of Pesach, Moshe Rabbeinu is not in that story. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need Yitzhak Mitzrayim to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need Yitzhak Mitzrayim in order to understand why the Torah had to be received. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need any of that. And therefore, it became absolutely necessary for Aaron, his brother, who was in Mitzrayim, who lived the slavery of Mitzrayim with his family, to take the leadership temporarily from Moshe Rabbeinu until Moshe Rabbeinu could become comprehensible to all of Am Yisrael, which apparently happened at Yamsu, by Aminu Bashem, who Moshe Abdo have a happy Pesach. Remember, you have to do the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim.